Behold, a great tempest arose in the sea, but he was asleep. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Speaking of ships and storms, I was thinking just this morning, actually, of that famous story of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Many of you know it perhaps only from the famous song by Gordon Lightfoot, written about this ship. Now, Lake Superior is notorious for its deadly storms, particularly in the autumn months, November most of all, when the collision of high and low pressure systems come together and create gales. The mariners called them witches. And they would oftentimes reach hurricane force winds. So the sailors knew and tried their best to avoid going out on Lake Superior around that time of year. But this one particular year, 1975, the Edmund Fitzgerald was, had to go out. Now, she was one of the biggest freighters out there. And she was called the Pride of the American Flag and was, and was the first ship on the Great Lakes to carry over a million tons of ore through the Sioux Locks. But as I said, in 1975, this ship left Superior, Wisconsin, heading over for Detroit, Michigan, when one of those storms, the witches, arose. The winds shifted. They crashed violently against the ship. They say the winds were about 50 miles an hour and probably the gusts even stronger. And the waves were 12 to 16 feet high and threatened to sink the ship. It wasn't long though before the captain reported that a fence rail was down, two vents were lost or damaged and that the ship was leaning to one side the water got in, and the ship was engulfed by the storm and was sunk with all 29 men aboard. It had only a few miles to go before it reached its destination. Ships will sink, but the bark of St. Peter, which is a symbol of the Catholic Church, never forget that, will never perish. Let tempests arise, let the waves of persecution threaten it. Nothing can destroy the bark of St. Peter. Now the ship in today's Holy Gospel was a small one, though it was called a ship. The storm which raged was enormous. Violent winds, the waves rocked the ship. And the apostles who were experienced upon the sea feared not only for the ship, but for their own lives. Frantically, they labored. They knew what they had to do. And when all seemed to be lost and there was nothing more to do, they cried for help. Our Lord slept on. And they kept crying. And finally, our Lord woke up. He was sleeping peacefully. Think of it. He didn't notice, seemingly notice, the storm 
And when he got up, nothing ruffled his feathers, so to say, and he commanded the winds and the sea to calm. Isn't this the case throughout the the history of the church? While persecutions warred against Holy Mother Church and the clergy and the people fought on, our Lord peacefully sleeps. People, the laity, desperately fought, and our Lord peacefully slept through the storms. He seemed not to notice all the cries for help rising up from all over the Catholic world. But just when all seemed lost, it was desperate, he awoke and calmly commanded the storm of persecution to cease, and he restored all calm. That is the history of our church. Think of the number of persecutions the church has withstood in its 2,000 years of existence, and she still stands strong today. There were the 13, or rather 300 years of persecution in the Roman Empire, in which there were thousands upon thousands of martyrs killed for the faith. And yet the church grew, not only in spite of, but perhaps because of the persecution. As they say, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of Christians. After that, there was the Arian heresy, which, much like the heresy today in Vatican II, there was scarcely a Catholic bishop to be seen. The heretics had overrun all of the churches, and yet she survived. Then there was the Albigensian heresy and the Protestant Reformation, which caused factions and wars and the loss of so many souls that continues even to today. And then in different countries, there was the war of communism against the church. The list just runs on and on. But each time, read church history if you don't believe it, each time the church seemed to all human ways of estimation to be right on the verge of collapse. And each time, our Lord awakened from sleep and commanded the winds. And the church came out of the storm more brilliant than the sun. But what about now? We are in the midst of the worst persecution ever to be waged against the church. It is, at least least not yet, bloody, but still it is the worst. The enemy is seemingly winning. He has gathered together every single heresy that has existed since the beginning of the time, and he has put them all together to wage war against the church. And you know how things are going in Rome since Vatican II. But do you see or do you know what has happened 
right here in the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Just the other day I was reading the history of this archdiocese. The Diocese of Cincinnati, at first it started out as just a diocese, was established in 1821 and has had since then a total of 11 bishops and archbishops, not including the auxiliary bishops. But as I read this history, there was, at the time of Vatican II, a clear shift of goals, of mindset, and of the results that came from them. Under Bishop Fenwick, the first bishop, in 1821, missionary priests were sent by him to minister to the families and to the Indians all over the frontier. He started what was later to become Xavier University. He started a seminary, and he is the one who brought the Sisters of Charity to Cincinnati. Under Purcell in 1833, the church was then made, the church in Cincinnati was then an archdiocese, and it continued to grow. More than a hundred churches and schools were built, and the Congregation of the Precious Blood was brought to Cincinnati. In 1883, Archbishop Elder, he continued the growth, and it was great. He established 32 new parishes. The Archdiocese at that time had 200,000 Catholics, 300 priests, and 180 churches and 100 Catholic schools. In 1904, when Archbishop Moeller took over, he expanded Catholic education. It expanded, expanded to 90% of the city parishes and 70% of rural parishes. And when Archbishop McNicholas came in 1925, he was a great bishop, because of the decline in morality, during those years of the war, he established the Legion of Decency, which rated movies for Catholics. But in 1950, a man that was elected that later on would bring about many terrible changes, Archbishop Alter, he saw at the beginning of his time as, as the Archbishop a great growth. He restored the cathedral downtown. He built a seminary, seven new high schools, 41 elementary schools. The parochial school enrollment doubled. It was amazing. But then Vatican II was, was called, and he went and took part in it, pushing the idea of religious liberty and when he came back, he is the one who pushed all of the liturgical changes for this archdiocese. In 1969, Archbishop Leibold, who also participated in Vatican II, he launched an archdiocesan synod 
which for the first time ever included the laity. And they together took a vote on a certain document that gave new guidelines for the future of the archdiocese, how it was to run, be run. And in 1972, there was Bernardine, and he shifted. The shift went from saving souls to social problems. He was promoting peace. He was fighting racism, and he was an advocate of basic human rights. And then, under Polarczyk, who started in 1982, we saw a decline in the number of priests, parishes downtown closed, and were consolidated. And his main focus was not on the souls to save. Rather, it was on welcoming the immigrant. Social issues. Well, what about so much for the, the Novus Ordo. What about the trads who possess the true faith? What will become of the church? Has the Novus Ordo finally won? Have they destroyed the Catholic Church? Well, no, because here we are. But what about all the controversies brought up in the traditional movement? I say this again, when you're in the middle of a storm, it's always hard to see what's ahead of you. The rain coming down and the winds blowing violently. But know this by faith, the church will survive. No enemy can bring it down. And the traditional Catholics, who are all the time bickering and fighting and dividing and everything else, well, remember this. Not even a traditional Catholic can bring down Holy Mother Church. And that is saying something these days. But I ask, what should you do when you see clergy, good clergy, fighting? over this or that thing, say the thesis or non-thesis or whatever other opinion is out there, things that have never been defined by the church. What should your part be? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, never get yourself involved in the clergy's disputes. Never. All that does is cause more chaos, more division, more hard feelings, more splits, and long-term ones. You're not going to solve or help the clergy to solve a theological discussion on Twitter. That's not what it's for. Leave the priests to discuss among themselves. That's the way that it should be carried out. Priests behind closed doors, having a calm discussion about theology. Just like parents are always told, if you have a disagreement, never argue in front of your children. So also it should be for the clergy, and it should not be on social media. But if you do 
find yourself in the middle of a, a debate, remember two points. The first is from St. Francis de Sales. Judicious silence is always better than truth spoken without charity. Oh, you hear all these people say, oh, for charity's sake I'm doing this, but no. You must do it in a charitable manner as well. The second is this. When you're in, in an argument, don't try to win the argument, to win this or that point. Because as the saying goes, you might win the argument, but lose a soul. Speak calmly, charitably to them, remembering that you are not above them because you believe and have the faith that was given to you by God and his grace. There is, I want to mention something about St. Francis de Sales that pretty much says what we should do when there are fights and divisions. St. Francis de Sales was the Bishop of Geneva, but he was kicked out of the, the Church of St. Hippolytus because it was in Calvinist territory, and he came to claim it once again. He was going to say the first Mass on Christmas there, but the Calvinists became violent when they heard that. They shut the city gates, they went into the church, weapons in hand, and they were going to, by force, not allow St. Francis, the bishop, into that church. The Catholics were ready to fight for their rights, and it came down to, to just that. They were face to face, the Calvinists and, and uh, Catholics, and it was just about to turn into blows when St. Francis, the saint of meekness, who knew how to calm passions, he walked to the peril of his own life right between the two fighting factions, and he looked at them and said, it is enough. Neither side would touch the other, and neither side would touch the bishop. He diffused the situation, and he went on explaining to the Calvinists in a calm voice, this is not the way to do it. If you think that I am wrong, then you must go and appeal to the, the civil authority. He even gave them away, but it was all with calmness. That's how you do it. Forgive this long sermon, but let me end with words of encouragement from St. John Chrysostom. Many are the waves, and threatening are the storms, but I fear them not, for I am standing on the rock. Let the billows mount as they will, they cannot sink the bark of our Lord Jesus Christ. Believe me, there is no power like the power of the Church. Stop fighting it. Wage not war with heaven. How many tyrants have sought to crush the Church. They had their gridirons and fiery furnaces, wild beasts and swords, and all have failed. And where are those enemies now? Buried and forgotten.
And the church, she is brighter than the sun. So until that time comes, as St. Paul says, fight the good fight, keep the faith, and never let persecution or divisions or disputes cause you to lose your faith. May God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.